Well, this is our second week in our series that we've started. We're looking at the book of Romans. We've called our series, I Am Not Ashamed, a statement of faith, a statement of claim, a statement of who we are as Christians. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, just as Paul said that he was not ashamed of the gospel as well. Each and every one of us can actually stand up and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is important for us to be able to claim that. It's important for us to be able to say that we too are not ashamed. So today as we move through, starting off in that very first part last week at looking at at how Paul wanted to go to the Romans, about looking at what it means not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how to stand up for your faith, Paul then starts to move into some very specifics. And see, when we actually start to look at Romans, we realise that it is filled with the theology of the church. It's filled with the basis, and theology is our, our thinking about what God is and who God is and what God wants us to do. And it's filled with this very nature of what the church is all about, about the underpinning of our faith. And this week, we're going to be focusing on the basis that I am a sinner and that you're a sinner. We're all sinners in the face of God's own judgment. It may say really heavy, but it's actually a great concept for us to actually understand, isn't it? We often don't like to go, oh, I've done something wrong or I haven't measured up. We, ne- we never like to have that basis, do we? We all as people like to know that we're doing good. How many people love to know that they've done something wrong? Nobody, nobody, oh. So you're often told that you've done something wrong. And you know what happens when you're told that you've done something wrong? You often get your back up, don't you? You often go, oh, no, no, no. Or this is right and you're wrong and you start getting into arguments. So the thing about coming to the point of going, well, actually, we're all under judgment. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of the commandments that God has given us we've not actually measured up and we find out and we're going to look at next week but that's next week that God gives us the grace but see the thing is that we should not be ashamed that we are a sinner that we actually have fallen short of God's glory in our lives we should not be ashamed of that this is actually knowing what our place is now I want to ask you this question How many people know how they define themselves? How many people, you know how you define yourself? Good, good. Do you define yourself by the choices that you make? No. How do you define yourself if it's not by the choices that you make? That's an interesting question. The underlying truth. I couldn't quite hear it. You've been quiet there. The underlying truth. Yes, the underlying truth. But what I I want you to really focus on for us today is the choices that we make. See, life is actually made up of choices, aren't they? A series of decisions that we make. You realise that when we make choices, when we make the decisions within our life, We make them with a range of possibilities. If we only have one possibility, is that a choice? 
No, is it? That, that, that's a certainty. That's, that's just what happens. But when we make choices because of the possibilities, whether they are real or they're imagined, the imagined ones that we have, we place in place for ourselves, we recognise that our decisions actually start to shape and guide our life. The decisions that we make actually start to shape who we are, actually start to shape what we do. You know, in, in life, there are some really easy decisions to make, really easy choices to make, you know, and some are incredibly difficult. You know, making a decision on what kind of pair of shoes that you're going to buy or wear is technically a reasonably easy decision. For how many people is it a tough decision? Is it the, what, what shoes? <laughs> it's a tough decision because you've got to make, make it match and you've got to make it work and it's got to be comfortable, all those kind of things. But, you know, jokes aside, now for some people, shoes are a really important thing. But for others, they're not so important. They're functional. They're just on the end of your feet. They hopefully keep them clean and you can walk around and you can look reasonable. But, you know, that's an easy decision. Making a decision that moves your family from where they've been to another country, another area, and you leave your friends behind, you leave the rest of your family behind, your work's all changed, that's a harder decision, isn't it? When you weigh them up, they're different decisions, aren't they? They're, you know, one's harder and one's easier. One actually affects your life and people around you. A decision about continuing treatment for cancer is a difficult, hard decision. Whether it's your cancer that you're having or a family member. It affects people's lives. See, the choices that we make define who we are. Or actually put it around the other way. Who we are defines the choices that we start to make. They work both ways. Once we start making a certain set of choices and we start going down a particular road, it sometimes gets incredibly difficult to change directions because you've got to change the innate behaviour that you started to go down this path to make a choice to change. See, I want to say to you today that you've got a choice that you can make right at this moment. And it goes with our, our series that we have. We can make a choice not to be ashamed of the gospel. That's a choice that we make. It's not something that is imposed upon us. It's not something put on us. It's a choice that we make. Choice not to be ashamed of the gospel, not to be ashamed of Jesus Christ, not to be ashamed of being a Christian, not to be ashamed of your faith. To stand up and say, I am not ashamed. That's a choice. In, in Romans, in, and I'm going to just jump into the scripture now. In Romans... We actually had a look at the, the reading that was just given for us beforehand. And I want you to have a read around these things. Because I'm, I'm just wanting to have a look at some of the choices that, that those who are sinful people make, but also choices that those who are the religious moral people make as well. 
So Romans 1, verses 21 to 23, and let me just re reiterate these for you again, because these are, these are choices that people make in ignoring God. See, they're making a choice to ignore God. For although they knew God, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, they made a choice to ignore who God was, not to honour God, not to give, let God lead them in any of the ways of their life. And what happens? The choices that you make darkens their heart towards God. The choice to ignore God darkens your heart. It has a consequence. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And exchanging the glory of the immortal God. So they've exchanged the, what it means to worship God, our God Almighty. But instead made images that look like mortal beings and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, created idols. Idols of, of things that were, that were not images of God, that were, were other things, of people, of places around, of giving you know, credence to, to things that weren't actually life-giving, weren't the creator of the universe. See, when we make choices that neither glorify God nor give thanks to God, we're making a choice and saying, I know better. I know better than our Lord and our Saviour. I know better than God. I'm going to do my own thing. We place other things in front of God. This is, this is what it means that we start to follow along with idols. So what are some of the idols that we, you know, we might not worship an image of a bird, but we do place idols in front of ourselves, in front of God. What are those idols for you? And I, I don't want to name them all. I don't want us to kind of go, oh, this is, this is what I do, this is what I place in front of God. But realise the decisions you make, the choice not to glorify God but to glorify something else, is placing an idol in place of God. And that's really hard. That's a really big step. We are ignoring God. See, the question that you need to ask yourself the decisions that we are making in our life, are they denying God? Are the decisions that you are making denying God? Because what happens if we are, then we can count ourselves that we are a sinner, that we've fallen short, we've, we've moved. Now, you might be thinking, you might be saying to yourself, well, actually, no, I'm not like these bad people. I'm not like these ones that have that really just ignored God and gone in a completely different direction, idol worship, all sorts of things like that, you know. I make good choices. I don't kill. I don't cheat. Well, maybe I might just fudge my taxes slightly. But I don't lie. Well, the gossip I sometimes, you know, do. I, you know, I, I give money to the poor. You know, I go, I go to church. So often what happens is people think that by living a good life, in an upright, moral kind of life, then, you know, then they're, they're going to be right with God. I, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this. I'm sure you've heard this said by people. All you have to do is live a good life, and that's, that's all you need to do, isn't it? And you'll be okay with God, leading a good life. But see, the thing, you know, when they say a good life, they're talking about a moral life. And so the interesting thing is that morals now 
are a construct that society creates. Our moral code changes as society takes on new norms, new practices of behaviour that once were taboo but now are okay. Our society's morals are changing all the time. There is not an absolute moral code. It changes. So to say to live a good life means that, and a moral life means that you're a bit wishy-washy. You're just flowing with the flow and the tide of what society wants. Is that going to give you eternal life? Is that going to give you saviour? It's not. See, it's only through the action of Jesus Christ that we find our saviour, our saving grace. See, as Paul's writing to the Romans, he's pointing out people that have gone astray and, and, and gone afar from God and, and chosen not to follow in God's path. And they do wicked things. He's going to see those people over there. And then he turns around and then he tackles those people who are not necessarily in opposition to God, but are also priding themselves on the fact that they have a a religious, moralistic behaviour. They follow their religious, moralistic behaviour to the letter of the law. They uphold things, but don't let God's grace flow through them. And this is where we come into, this is where the section on Romans 2 starts to speak. You, therefore... Have no excuse, you who pass judgment. So why why do they not have an excuse? Because they know who God is. They've been following in God's way. He's talking to the religious people here who know God's law. You've got no excuses. You pass judgment on someone else for whatever point you judge another, you also condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. He's really kind of... I think it's really important for us to realise God is the righteous judge in all of this. It is not us. We have not been called to judge. God has been called to judge. Now we know that God's judgement against those who do such things is based on truth. So uh, such things is what he was talking about in the previous chapter, the, the people who have gone far from God. So when you, a mere human being pass judgment on them and yet do the same thing, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt to the riches of his kindness, this is God's kindness, forbearance and patience, not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to, what is it? Repentance. In other words, saying that you cannot do it on your own, that I have failed you, God, And I come to you and ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your grace. I ask for your glory to become into my life. I I love it, you know, that that was in the the NIV. Just listen to the way the New Living Translation says this little section because I think it's really good. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuses. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for... You who judge others do the very same things. Isn't that so pertinent? When we start to think that those people who do the religious, the religious moralistic behaviour, 
that they actually start to think that they are self-righteous, that they've got the answers, they've got it all for them. Is showing that the self-righteous are under the same judgment as those who are the outright sinners. God's judgment is based upon truth and upon grace. See, the self-righteous, and I want to put this up on the screen for you. See, self-righteousness actually exists because of two errors that we have in our thinking. When we start to think that we are self-righteous and that we, we know better and that we can judge other people on their behaviour, it's because of two things. Let me put them up on the screen for you. The first reason why we think that we, you know, our self-righteousness comes into being is that we start to minimise what God's standard of behaviour actually is. Right? I don't know whether you've noticed this within the church and within the wider church. We actually are starting to let things creep in. Instead of upholding us to the, the high standards of God, we start to let them slide. And so when we minimise our own standards for ourselves, we can go, that's okay, we can live by this, I can let this one little slide because I know this is okay. Uh, but, you know, this really big thing over here, you know, Jesus said, before you take the speck out of somebody's eye, get the log out of your own. This is the whole thing about self-righteousness, is that we do all fall short of the glory of God. We all are sinners in the eyes of God. And the second is that we actually underestimate our own sinfulness. We think that we are okay and others are always wrong. I don't know, it's part of life, isn't it? We kind of think that way, don't we? That we're okay but everybody else is wrong. Even if I know that I'm doing the wrong thing and I get caught, I still think everybody else is wrong. And what I've done is not really that bad. Have you ever noticed how people do that? They downplay what they've done and play up what everybody else has done. It's always somebody else's fault, never your own. Always blame somebody else. Have a scapegoat. But see, the thing is that you know, having these two things, that brings self-righteousness to the forefront. And that is what Paul is saying. Don't become self-righteous. What you should be doing is letting the sin that is becoming apparent lead you to what point? Let me put it up on the screen lead you to repentance. It's there so that you may know that you should ask forgiveness of God and receive that forgiveness. See, the thing is, and I think this is, this is so true, especially for the religious elite, those things, people that have done lots of thinking about, about God and everything else, and I think we start to fall into it ourselves. Is it, Paul's warning those who think that they have all the answers. They know the religious laws and, and the precepts. They know the theology. They know the, all of the basis of everything. And they're really quick to pronounce judgment on everybody else. They know what is required. And what, what, is, what does God require of us? Here's a little test. To act justly. To love mercy and to walk humbly with our God, isn't it? That was the last series. To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. That's what God requires of us. To love our neighbour as ourselves. Love God with all of our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and love our neighbour as ourselves. But, but when we have knowledge of God, 
that doesn't bring salvation. Knowing about God doesn't bring salvation. Knowing what is required of you doesn't remove you from God's judgment. Knowledge is not salvation. Repenting of our sins, turning to God, asking for forgiveness, that is what brings salvation. See, God doesn't show favoritism. We have all fallen short. Let me show you how he doesn't show favoritism. But because of the stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are stirring up wrath against yourself for the, for the day of judgment, God's wrath, for the day of God's wrath, when his righteousness, righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. So if you are seeking the glory of God's life within you, if you are seeking Jesus Christ and his life, if you ask for the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, then you will be given eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jews, then the Gentiles. Notice this. Those who should know better are judged first. Those who have had the law of God are judged first. And then everybody. So if you know what God requires of you, better do what God requires of you. But glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. For God does not show favouritism. We are all the same. And the same. So, some people think that they are better than each other, but we are all the same. Paul is writing to us so that we may understand this, that we are all part of God's grace. That God's love is there. So we should not be ashamed of the fact that we are a sinner. We should know that we are a sinner because that helps us understand who we are in the face of what God's judgment is to come. We should not be ashamed because that way we can then ask for repentance. We can be truly repentant. See, Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, but he's also written quite a number of other letters to other churches. And I wanted to share with you a little section from 1 Corinthians that will just kind of give us an understanding about the person Paul that we know, that we know of and will help us understand where he's coming from. See, Paul is writing here not to the, to the Romans, but when he's writing to the church in Corinth, and that's where we get 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians from, and says what it means to be a Christian is to strive to do the right thing, to love God and your neighbour, but realising at the same time that salvation is found only through the grace of God. Let me put it up on the screen for you. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called the apostle because I persecuted the church. So Paul actually knows his place. He realises that even though he's called to be apostle, he knows that he was you know, um, being persecuting the church, but Christ called him out from there and sent him 
to go and preach the good news to all of the world around. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's claiming who he is. The bad parts and the good parts. Not forgetting that he has sinned, but also knowing that he can live under the grace of God. And by his grace to me was without, and by his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. So even though he works hard, even though he keeps on striving to do the right thing, it's not his work that is justifying him. It's not his work that is saving him. It is the grace of God that saves us. So let us just pray. Let us just ask that we may come to the point and realise that in life we do make mistakes. In life that we can't save ourselves, can't get eternal life, can't get that salvation. It's only through God. And it doesn't matter whether you're living a religious life or you're not. We all fall short of God's grace and God's glory for us. But we can have that through the relationship through the saving grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's just pray. Our Lord God, we pray today that you may guide us, you may lead us, you may sustain us. But we may know that your love for us passes beyond all of our understanding, is greater than all that we may know. Lord, help us not to fall into the trap of being moralistic, of thinking our religious behaviour is going to get us closer to God, but help us to know that it is only through the saving grace of Jesus Christ that we may come to Jesus our Lord and our Saviour. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Now, last week, I, I, I put out the challenge for it, before we sing the song. I put out the challenge, you know. There's, there's, a, there's a mug shot up on the screen of me saying, I am not ashamed. And we've set up in the hall for after church, we've set up uh, some lights for taking some photos. For those that want to stand up, want to make the choice, and say that I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ, I'm not ashamed of my faith, um, we want to take your photo. We want to start creating a gallery of photos of people within our church that are willing to say, I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of my faith. To stand up and claim that for ourselves. It's a powerful witness. I know some people don't like having their photos taken. We'll work really well, really hard to make them look really good. That's okay. So we'll... That's fine. But it's, it's who you are. It's actually saying, this is who I am. And I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. So I encourage you, after church, if you want to stand up and do that, come and see me after church in the hall. Uh, we'll grab the camera and we'll take some photos. And then we'll start to create and build those things for them. And, and somebody said, do we get to keep a copy? Yes, you can have a copy. It's not a problem. Okay, let's sing. <laughs>